everyone. I am Candice, your host for What's the Buzz podcast. And uh, today I am with Dr. Ledoux. So, Dr. Ledoux, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Well, thanks for having me. I'm Dr. Joe Ledoux. I'm the Associate Chair for Undergraduate Learning and Experience in Biomedical Engineering at Georgia Tech. What do you do with this position? I immediately, of course, went to uh, students with the now famous Fast and Furious charrette. And that was about two years ago. And we've never looked back. It's been lots of fun. I was part of that Fast and Furious charrette. And I'm, I like to gloat about it all the time. Where did you find that idea to do the Fast and Furious charrette? Um, I knew as soon as I was, took on the new position, I was absolutely committed that it had to be student-driven, student-owned. I didn't want it to be a top-down thing. I wanted to hear from the students what they wanted to do and support them in whatever way they, direction they felt they needed to go. So I said, well, how am I going to do that? I found, I, first of all, I learned the term charrette. So I have a friend, who, Dr. Neustetter, who used to teach BMET 1300. She's a learning scientist, but actually her real background is a linguist. So basically, every time I talk to her, she puts a great label onto it. She has a massive vocabulary. So I was explaining to her, well, this is sort of what I had in mind. And she goes, oh, that's a charrette. I said, that's very interesting. I've never heard that word before. <laughs> so I looked up charrette, and sure enough, I agreed. It was similar to what I had in mind, but a real charrette is where they plan several weeks in advance and bring in designers, developers, engineers for a one week super intensive design sequence. And then, you know, so it's, but the concept was the same. I just was going to compress it. So that's why I decided to call it fast and furious. Most of what came into that was programming. Like what can we do now to support our students? Now, if the space could help us in that regard, and I think it does to some extent, but what can we do to help the students now? And a lot of it had to do with programming. So it really was actually a movement. We had people who got excited about it and contributing to it, volunteering their time. And yeah, I mean, the first thing that we did, so you joined, you jumped in for the next semester. Oh, yeah. With four other students uh, who actually earned credit and essentially like a course, a design course. And we met with like Raja Shah, who's an industrial designer, Dr. Fossey, learning scientist. We looked at some spaces and we actually turned that into a white paper, which is sort of 20 pages of all of our ideas. And it's kind of the blueprint for where we're heading in the future. And what was the first thing that we could do to make this all take off? And it bubbled up was we should have a mentorship program because it sort of touches on all the different things we're thinking about doing in one fell swoop. So that was a really exciting summer where we all basically created a really cool program from thin air so it was really cool and what's what i i remember most about the skyping in sessions it's kind of funny but uh you were skyping in from work and i would see the workers in the background and you, i could tell that you were a little nervous about it and then at the same time yuna o would come on board barely awake <laughs> I, i'm gonna embarrass her but she'd be in her pajamas maybe with a cup of coffee and like toothpicks to keep her eyes open because she was in i guess california mm-hmm. was she was much. in california so it was literally like six in the morning for her so this is the kind of dedication we had is there um anything <clears throat> from when this all started out that is drastically different from how it is right now or how you envisioned it i actually think it's better than anything i had imagined um as far as it's just it's hard to answer that question because my I didn't really have a clear vision of where it was going. I, all I, it was really about the process, and I would just let it go wherever it went. But as far as how things have turned out, it's great because so many people are energized by it and dedicated to it. So I'm actually going to talk about it at the National Biomedical Engineering Society conference next week. The mentorship Ooh. program. 
So I've been to a couple of conferences, but as a student, like just as an attendee, what is it like to go as a educator and also like presenting? I always come back from these conferences really excited and energized, um, almost absurdly so when I think back about it, because when I go down and I go to the different talks, first of all, and, and between the talks, whatever, when you're at a conference, you're, t- you're meeting with like-minded people with similar interests who are really motivated, and you're, getting, you're seeing sort of their most recent work, the cool things that people are doing. Basically, what I find when I'm sitting in on the talks, I bring a notebook of some kind. I always get really energized by these things because I come back with a notebook full of ideas. And, of course, you get to network get to see old friends um, that you don't see any other time, really, back from the grad school days or from prior conferences and stuff. And then if you're presenting, that is really fun because they're all kind of different. Talks are kind of cool, but intellectually it's not as stimulating for a lot of times because a lot of times you only get a, there's only time for a couple of questions. It's easy to answer the questions, and the questioner is getting stuff out of it. But a lot of times I don't feel like, you know, I'm learning that much when I give a talk. Uh, however, in some respects, I almost prefer doing posters and stuff because then people casually come in and you're talking to one or two people at a time. You have a lot more time to go into in-depth about what you're doing and hear about what they're doing. Any Anytime you present, uh, it's really a powerful experience because um, you have to get all your thoughts together before the conference, either to put it on a poster or make a cohesive talk. Or if you're asked to write a paper, that's even more powerful because you start putting everything together. And generally, if you're not, if you don't force yourself to do that by giving a talk or writing a paper, it often doesn't happen. So it's painful but very valuable. Truth is, it's really is a learning experience for you. So yeah, I mean, I think as a student, um, if you can get yourself to a conference, you should definitely do that. And I think usually if you're in a lab and you've made some contributions, every lab is different. But if you have some data to present, they'll usually find a way to get you down there but uh okay uh, talking about labs you're leading the teaching learning and cognition and engineering lab correct Um, that is a mouthful tell me more about that well it's easier to say tlc okay tlc (laughs) i've been i've been like seeing the entire name like the full name ever since (laughs) i am in this lab actually yeah so it was sort of I don't know, four or five years ago, I decided to switch from wet lab business to engineering education and research. And I was able to do that because we had a learning scientist on staff, Dr. Wendy Neustetter. And I still remember very clearly, you know, I've been working with her for years to improve my teaching and I'd learned a lot from her. And I'd actually went to a workshop that she was one of the co-creators of that where I learned about how this kind of research is done. But I had never written a grant for engineering education research, I had never written a paper. And she came into my office one day, we were talking, and she stopped and she said, when are you going to decide what to do with your life? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, well, I'm a tenured professor at Georgia Tech. I feel like that's a pretty good start. You know, (laughs) what the heck are you talking about? But what she was talking about is she knew where my, she was able to infer where my real passion lay, and I hadn't really gone for it yet. So right around that time, the National Science Foundation had come up with a program called G, called FIRE, and I don't remember what that stood for exactly, but the idea was they wanted somebody who hadn't done engineering education research before who was in a regular engineering field to pair up with a learning scientist and write a grant together. So it's perfect. 
So we went for it, and that's when I first started going essentially off the deep end into this world. I literally, I, I had to, she sort of coached me, but I read books on phenomenology and, you know, I kind of put other things on the back burner and just spent a lot of time reading and self-studying on this stuff. And so I put together a proposal with her help. It did not get funded, but I learned a huge amount. And that, that, so that was in the spring of, I can't remember what year anymore, but the fall came around. And she was like, hey, there's this call, and it was called the RIS. It's another acronym for this call. And that actually is a, not for beginners. It's for people like her. But for some reason, she said, you should go for one of this. So I took the original grant proposal, reworked it to make it better based on what I had gotten, the reviews I would gotten and what I would learned and so forth. Again, working with her, put it in, and that darned if that thing didn't get funded. And I still remember when she found out she came to my office and she was literally bouncing up and down with excitement, like a po- like she's on a pogo stick, you know. So it was really exciting. And so I did that work with Dr. Lisa Waller and Dr. Newstead. And we still have papers we have to write from that, to be honest. It's hard to find time to do these things. But and then I wrote this, uh, the one that we just got funded that you're helping. Yes. Helping me with. Um, that was one I wrote without her help. So that's sort of like my first proposal that I got on my own. So. So this new one is actually studying the, the, the environment that I've created that I call the Problem Solving Studio. The first one I got was actually about how people, how novices versus experts solve problems using by generating diagrams. So that was actually separate from my course. Um, but they all, in some sense, tie together. Um, I can't even remember what your question was. <laughs> uh, I don't remember either. Oh, oh, about the lab. Um. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the lab, it's interesting because I don't really have a lot of space anymore. That When I stopped doing wet lab research, they scarfed that up for people who are still doing that. But, yeah, the lab right now is consists of myself, uh, Dr. Alicia Waller, who doesn't have a Ph.D. in engineering education research, but it's like one of those all-but-dissertation things. So she's had all the classes. She's very knowledgeable, has done work in the area for years. Her PhD is in ISYE, so she's in a you know, card-carrying engineer. So she's got, it's great because she's a hardcore engineer, but also lots of knowledge about engineering education research, and she's very passionate about it. So, so we're working together on that. And then I uh, have this undergraduate. Her name is Candice. Do you know her? <laughs> um, no, uh, <laughs> I do not know her. Uh, what is she like? <laughs> she's very similar to you, actually. Uh, really? Yeah. And then, um, yeah, she's very passionate about uh, everything she does. She's into podcasting, too, actually. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. I yeah. need to get in contact with her. You should. <laughs> and I'm also very excited. I'm recruiting another research scientist. And uh, she's agreed to do the job. But interestingly, she's still working on her PhD. But I think she went to tech, actually, as, a, as an engineer. Uh, but so her PhD is engineering, or engineering and science education. And I think she's a undergraduate. She's got an engineering degree in mechanical engineering, I believe. I should know this. But she's going to work part-time for us until she graduates in May. And then hopefully she'll be here full-time. I'm really excited about that because, uh, again, she's an engineer and all this expertise in engineering education research. I really think that moving forward, where we really need to be as departments in engineering is we should have people like that as part of faculty. And... Um, you know, I think we're moving in that direction, and we're we were the first school that I know of that had 
a learning scientist at all. I'm very interested in uh, engineering education now that I've been doing it, well, or I've been helping out with it. Um, so what advice do you have for me and like for anyone else who's interested in doing that as a career on how to get there? Well, first of all, it's awesome that you're interested in that. We definitely need people to do this. I think um, all the thought leaders and academics, including our former president, Wayne Clough, our current Dean of Engineering Gary May, the President of the United States, the National Academy of Sciences, the National Academy of Engineering. Everyone agrees that engineering education needs to be reformed. Um, I think we're way ahead of the ballgame. So when you think of, well, geez, you know, seems like they're doing a lot of progressive, interesting things, and that's true. But if but a typical engineering department at a typical institution, a lot of it is still very much lecture-based, very math-heavy, um, very much sort of weed out mentality and that stuff's got to go and everyone recognizes that. So uh, how to get into that. I mean, if you want to do engineering education research, of course. So I think first of all, it's great to get an undergraduate degree in engineering. Um, You can get any kind of job with that. You have a lot of job security with an engineering degree. And of course, now you've gone through the whole process. You are an engineer. um, So that gives you a great perspective. And then I think you want to go get uh, a PhD in the learning sciences uh, and there are actually many programs popping up. Purdue pops to mind, Virginia Tech, where it's actually focused on engineering education. But that's not the only way to do it. You can get a PhD in, in learning sciences uh, at other schools. And that's exactly what I think the way things are going is that I think we need to have people like that embedded in the departments. And at Tech, we have a center for uh, education, teaching, and learning called CEDL. They're in a different building. They do a great job at what they do. But again, they're in a different building. They're not really doing research per se. They're there to support faculty in terms of improving their teaching. The bottom line is if they're not hanging out in the same building as us, they're not going to have nearly as much of an impact as if they are. Well, there's also on campus actually much more immediate. There is, I guess it's the American Society of Engineering Education, I'm going to guess, the local chapter of that has been very active on campus the last two or three years, maybe last even four years. I'm not sure how far back it goes. I do know it goes back to a a cohort of graduate students who are in traditional engineering majors but are extremely passionate about engineering education. A lot of their focus is on grad students, but I I think that it's probably open to everyone. So uh, you should definitely look into that. So they they actually have begun hosting annual um, poster sessions where they bring everyone who's doing engineering education research or even learning sciences research, not just engineering on campus together and do so they can all share what they're doing. So they've begun to build a community here at tech. And yeah, so you're interested in that definitely need to get involved and go find out where those meetings are and stuff. This is the good part. This is the good part about being able to talk to people about things that they like. Hopefully some of the listeners too. Oh, yes, definitely. But, you know, it's it's a perk that I enjoy. <laughs> um, so we are about out of time. Is there anything that you'd like to say to um, the community or any advice? If you're a biomedical engineering major at Georgia Tech, I, I really encourage you to get involved in the Learning Commons movement to talk about what we can do to make your life in terms of what you're learning as a BME and what you're experiencing as a student here better. And we are trying to do everything we can to help you achieve whatever you want. So mentoring program is huge. So 
If you're not a mentor, become a mentor. If you're a mentee, get involved with your mentor. Go to the mentor, the BME uh, dinner programs. Um, other things that the Learning Commons Movement include this podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think it's awesome, right? There's so many possibilities here. We are working on instructional videos to help people do better in their core courses. Um, we're also, what are the kind of research that we talked about? We have the learning thing. We've had community. Oh, and creativity, right? We think that by working in teams, that actually makes everyone more creative. There's very little information on, that's a hypothesis. It's a hypothesis, but that with all this teamwork that we have happening in our department, that leads to greater creativity. You know, the anecdotal evidence is that we keep winning design competitions. I don't think that's an accident. You know, this is happening whether we do research on it or not. We need to go capture that data and learn from it and publish it and spread the word to the rest of the world. It's important in all those areas, so learning and community and creativity all of them, you need to be really good at communicating. And by that, I mean, I don't just mean information transmission. You give a PowerPoint, you're very professional, everybody understands what you're saying. That is important, of course. But I kind of think to be a world leader or to be a leader, you, you need to be able to communicate in a way that actually inspires other people to take action. That's the beauty about the Learning Commons movement. They have identified the change they want to see in the program. And they are be given the opportunity to make that change happen. And I think what we're discovering is that's really hard to do. You have to be able to communicate your vision to other people in such a way that you inspire them to join your effort. I think that's the hugest benefit that people get involved in learning commons. It's a chance to practice that skill. And, and the beauty of this is you can have a major impact on BMEs that come after you. So, and I think if we actually formalize it where people can get credit for actually doing research on this, that actually carves out space in your busy schedules to devote more time to this. So I'm really excited uh, that we're going in this direction and I can't wait to see what happens the next few years. Thank you so much for talking to me, Dr. Ledoux. My pleasure. It's been lots of fun. All right. So this is Candace signing off. See you all later.